Hello and welcome to An Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA. I'm your host, Josh. I appreciate you joining me as I explore new ways of making recovery more accessible to folks that may struggle with the God aspect of some recovery programs. All are welcome here. The primary purpose of this podcast is to read from the big book through the eyes of an atheist and try to make sense of all the God stuff that's in there. Along the way, I hope to hear and share the stories of others while learning other ways of keeping sober. Hopefully, this results in others learning as well. So I have started this episode a few times, but I'm just going to get right into it. A few days ago, on Wednesday, in fact... Uh, which would be, I don't know, the 28th or 9th. It doesn't matter. Today's Sunday. It was a few days ago. I broke up with my girlfriend. I had planned on just sort of ranting about this, not ranting, but just getting it all out there and kind of going over everything. And the first few times I did that, I just, while the verbalization of this was cathartic for me, I don't see the value in it. There's aspects of the situation that I, I feel would be important to go over just to kind of clarify my change in, in myself and how I have been in the past with relationships and how my growth has changed that for this relationship. Uh, but I think ultimately I will not be spending as much detailed time on it as I had the first few times I did this. Uh, we'll start off first things first. I, I split things off with her with respect to her. I went to her house. We talked. I, I didn't I didn't do it over text message like I have in the past because I'm a fucking coward when it comes to this kind of shit. I didn't do it via email. I did not do it. Just my stuff was gone and then, you know, they came home to nothing. It wasn't anything like that. It was it felt sudden to her. It was kind of sudden in some ways, but it was all based on stuff that we had talked about that hadn't been getting worked on. I guess that was the part. One of the parts that I kind of took away that I don't understand, like how the timing of this stuff works. I don't know how it's not supposed to feel sudden unless there's continual problems and the relationship is really toxic. Uh, Either way. I didn't make the decision brashly. I, you know, talked to a few people. I considered my options, really looked at like what I was thinking and my feelings and the real motivation behind those feelings. And I just came to the, you know, the realization that we weren't a good fit. Some aspects of the relationship were perfect. I know people would say that, you know, you, when you find somebody that you can spend time with, I... Then you you fight for that relationship, and I think there is a balance to that, deciding to just stick it out. I'm not the kind of person like my grandparents who, who will just give give everything up. Now, that's kind of not true. So I will give everything up, but I'll hold resentments, and I'll get upset about it later. I, I'll, I'll sacrifice everything for a relationship, and then six months, a year, a few years down the road, realize that I'm not happy, that I've never been happy, or, or I'm not happy because I have given up so much of myself for this relationship, and I want those things back, or I've lost my identity to the point to where I don't recognize myself anymore. Some of that just comes from my natural state of reinventing myself on a regular basis. But some of that also just comes from a very codependent way of approaching relationships. This relationship, I wasn't going to do that. Unfortunately, my partner did. And I now see fully, and this this might not even be the first time I've been in a relationship where the other person was codependent, but I see fully what how exhausting that is, how how that can really be a detriment to things and, and how difficult it is to stay with someone who may not be on the same path. I'm working on myself they weren't. And yeah, the people who might say, well, you just stick it out. The only people that have ever told me something like that have either only been in one or two relationships in their entire life and the one that they're currently in, they've been in for 50 years or are as perpetually as single as I am. 
So I think even trying to objectively look at it as I gave up or not is a weird, weird way to go. And that was one of the phrases that was used. Well, you're just giving up when it's getting hard. And looking back on the relationship and the things that I had given up for the relationship and, and could feel more of that coming, you know, my time, my experience my ability to to make plans with friends and to do things and to be a part of my hobbies and my recovery and to feel autonomous in a lot of the decisions that I make to me so there's there's this kind of duality in my brain i want to do all the things i've talked about that i want to do all of the all of the the hobbies i want to write a movie i want to make a movie i want to do a podcast i want to stream on twitch i want to make youtube videos i want to tattoo i want to paint with coffee as I have in the past, I want to, you know, I want to become a fitness guru. I want to become a drug and alcohol counselor. I want to own a business. Like I've, this is everything. If you throw a dartboard at at a giant sheet of fucking things you could be when you grow up, I'd, I'd probably have picked all of them at some point to be. The problem I've realized over the years is, and I've talked about my perfect, my style of perfection, which is I know I'll fail. So I don't begin while it's not the only reason why I've been in relationships, I've had just relationship issues my whole life, essentially. I've had a few good relationships that ended on good terms and were just f- fine. But I've also had just a very long string of bad ones. And most of the time, I have been the bad portion of the bad relationships. And what I know about myself in my past relationships was I would go all in and I would just dive in and I would lose myself in the relationships. This is this has persisted all the way into my sobriety. And I would lose myself in a way that sometimes wasn't required. Uh, my my sense of losing myself cost me a relationship that was with just a, you know just an amazing person that was unnecessary. And at other times it had cost me a marriage, it had cost me well it, the whole point of this is that I lose myself and then I am capable of using that as a reason why I don't even begin a lot of the the, ha- the hobbies or tasks that I you know feel like I want to do, like my my YouTube videos in this relationship, my YouTube videos. I use this. I went through a process of learning how to do the YouTube videos. I made a few. They turned out pretty decent. I was improving. My content was getting better, and then I I just stopped because well, it's just my ha- my habit right is to stop like that. But I made up these reasons as in the relationship was the cause for that. In some regards, it was. I just did not have the time for it because of the amount of time that I was needed to be there for the relationship. But also, there was this sense of I could use this relationship as a reason to quit these things. And I was seeing that happening in this one. This is how my past relationships had been. It had been kind of a scapegoat. Um, I had seen that as a pattern developing again. I had seen me working on the other person more than I was working on myself. I was abandoning things that made me sane and sober and healthy to make sure the other person was cared for. And that is my fault. That is something I have done repeatedly. I I will sacrifice myself for somebody else and then hate them for it later. And I didn't want that to happen. Um, and there's there's a few other reasons, a few other things that, you know, while specific aren't necessary to say here. What I'll say is uh, I edit things as respectfully as you can do that. I can honestly say in the relationship that I was uh, the best partner I have ever been. There is a lot of room for improvements. There is a lot of things that I could do differently in the future uh, or do better. 
But stacking this up against all of my other relationships, this was the most healthiest I was. This was the most independent. While I need to work on that, it was the case. I did as much of myself was remaining. And that was that independence that was under threat that I just could not let go of. I was the most loyal, the most honest, the most communicative. Any issues or problems that we had, I brought them to the table and talked about them. I didn't hide them. I didn't keep them to myself. And I didn't pretend like they were gone. They were they were nothing. What I could have done better is after discussing them, if there was no action done, I then did not revisit. Not all the time. There's a few things I did revisit, but I didn't revisit enough. And it was... It was definitely a situation where I kept telling myself I need to give them space to grow and they just need time. And I was making kind of excuses along those regards. And once they started really affecting me, that's when I felt things were kind of coming to a head. I maintained my own space. I didn't give up the place that I was living and just instantly move in. Even when financially it probably would have been better, it would have helped her. Um, I didn't completely cut myself off. I did stop seeing a lot of my friends and stop going out and doing things with people. Though I don't do that often, I did stop doing that pretty much at all. But I also feel like in this instance, I had kind of a clear sense of what I thought I wanted. And it turned out in some regards, that's just not true. And that's part of it too. I, I, I needed to have spent more time with myself before getting into a relationship, I think. And while that might be true for her or not, I don't know. I, I can only speak about myself, honestly, when it comes to this. I was ready for a relationship, but maybe not ready for one that was this quickly going to turn into something much bigger. And maybe that means I wasn't ready for a relationship. I went through these things like, like you know, they were trading cards that I was trying to collect before finding this girl. And I wish her the best. I really hope she does well. I don't want anything, you know, I don't, I, I hate that I'm causing her pain. You know, it kills me to know that she's going to have a hard time with this. I'm having a hard time with this. It feels like societally, it's not acceptable that if you're the person who breaks up with the, the, if you're the person doing the breaking up, then you don't get to feel bad about that. And that seems weird, you know? Um, but I, I don't agree with that at all. It was a hard decision to make. It wasn't an easy one. The easy decision would have been to just stay and stick it out and deal with it and give everything up. Give up all the things I want to do and just suddenly become a full-time dad and a partner to someone I had to care for in a lot of ways. That would have been the easy thing. That could, I know that because that's the thing I did multiple times to avoid harming the other person. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So this wasn't easy and... Um, that's that's about that. I'm uh, I, I'm in a good place. I spoke with my sponsor. I feel okay. My emotions will probably be a little all over the place later. I usually don't feel things until later. I'm going to give myself some time to kind of grieve this relationship because of the direction it had seemed to be going. And I, you know, really enjoyed some of the time we spent together. I have, you know, no interest in moving on at all. Just growing from this. So uh, with that, I'm going to get into the Stoic reading and then we'll get right into uh, the section two wives. So I don't know how pertinent this little starter is to that, but you know, there, here we go. This reading is for October 12th. Always love. Hikado says, I can teach you a love potion made without any drugs, herbs, or special spell. If you would be loved, love. Seneca, Moral Letters 9-6. In 1992, Barbara Jordan addressed the Democratic National Convention and railed against the greed and selfishness and divisiveness of the previous decade. People were ready for a change. 
Change it to what, she asked. Change that environment of the 80s to an environment which is characterized by a devotion to the public interest, public service, tolerance, and love? 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 Love, 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 love. Why? Because as the Beatles put it, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Not just in politics, not just in tolerance, but in our personal lives. There is almost no situation in which hatred helps. Yet almost every situation is made better by love, or empathy, understanding, appreciation, even situations in which you are in an opposition to someone. And who knows, you might just get some of that love back. So yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. Obviously, you know, if if you're meeting people with, with kind of hatred, or anger, or greed, or whatever kind of aggressive sort of behavior or, or you know, any situation that you're meeting with those kinds of behaviors, you're, you're not going to get love back. You might from a very few select group of people who, you know, try to love through the hate and try to love despite what the other person is providing. And that's kind of what it's asking you to do. That's going to seem hard and difficult and impossible at times. It has to me. There are plenty of, fuck man, get me online. Start, let me start, you know, scrolling through some of these political posts and it's harder and harder and harder to, for me to just meet all that with love. But when I try, I seem to feel better. I seem to do better. People around me seem to treat me better. If, if there was a message to take from that is if you want to feel loved, then love. And if that has to start with yourself, then start there. It should start there. That should be the first on the list. I think that's pretty much it. I think that slides right into uh, the next chapter of the big book, which is Two Wives. This is chapter eight of the big book. It starts on 104 of the app that I use. Again, that's the, a a the Alcoholics Anonymous big book app. I think it's seriously just called AA Big Book. It is. And it's a fantastic app. It has the book. It has the quick sheet for the the 12 steps and 12 traditions. It has a little community in there that's fairly involved. It has a listing of other podcasts you can check out. It's got a listing of meetings, though I do prefer to use the intergroup websites for those. It does. It's just a nice, helpful app. Uh, more importantly, it has the entire big book front to back, including the stories at the end. So, or I'm sorry, the first 164 pages it doesn't have the stories at the end. Oh, it does. It does have the personal stories. They're listed separately in their own section. That's why it didn't look like it. So at the very, very least, it has the 100, first 164 pages. This is Two Wives, chapter 8, page 104. With few exceptions, our book thus far has spoken of men, but what we have said applies quite as much to women. Our activities in behalf of women who drink are on the increase. There is every evidence that women regain their health as readily as men if they try our suggestions. Now, remember, back at this time, it wasn't common for women to be considered quote-unquote alcoholics. It doesn't mean that they weren't around. It just means that it was, you know, drinking was a man's thing. That's what that's what the men folk did. So when women were found to be alcoholic, a lot of times they were just locked up, dude. I mean, hell, the term hysterical was applied to women <laughs> who who were having situations that were uncurable by modern medicine at the time that could be applied to a woman who was just really upset at her husband. So when this book was written, there was a lot about that, that just really a lot of just social interactions between men and women that just weren't really understood. Men didn't really put a lot of effort into understanding them or that if they did, they did it in a mansplaining kind of way where they were just like, well, men feel this way and women feel that way. And that's that, that's the end of that. I'm not going to ask a woman if that's true. We're just going to assume that's true because well, I mean, I've been around enough women to know it. Over the years, a lot of work has been done to sort of move us away from this kind of kind of old timey 
way of looking at how men and women interact, how women are, uh, how they recover, how alcohol might affect them, and be more inclusive in that. And yeah, my goal of the book is to do the same with atheists. But when you consider how long it has taken, really, for a lot of this old language to be sort of rethought, to be applied to women, I'm pretty amazed that we have uh, secular meetings at all, really. Like, it's just bonkers to me how we held on to so much of this language in this program. We'll see and we'll hear more. But for every man who drinks, others are involved. The wife who trembles in fear of the next debacle, the mother and father who see their son wasting away. Among us are wives, relatives, and friends whose problems have been solved, as well as some who have not yet found a happy solution. We want the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous to address the wives of men who drink too much. What they say will apply to nearly everyone bound by tiles, uh, ties of blood or affection to an alcoholic. So yeah, really what we're seeing right now is this chapter isn't even to the women in Alcoholics Anonymous or to women who might be drinking and find their way in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is essentially Al-Anon and it's still being written from a perspective that only really men are going to be in this program and that the wives are the ones that are going to be remaining to be sober echelons of the household or something. It's a very strange, this chapter is very strange. I mean, we agnostics is pretty easy to explain. They were all Christian and they just didn't really understand that people could not be, if given the opportunity to have a miracle hoist upon them, then of course they're going to find their way to God or whatever. This one, like it just really speaks of the time, man. Like, and that's my, it might be why I have a hard time kind of understanding a lot of this uh, sort of viewpoint. They have a whole chapter, a whole chapter dedicated to the women affected by men who drink. I don't see a chapter affected to the husbands affected by women who drink. You know what I'm saying? That being said, it is it is kind of an interesting chapter. There are some bits you can kind of see where the early roots of Al-Anon sort of take place from this. A lot of people assumed that Lois wrote this, Bill's wife. It's possible. Or she probably had a lot of input. I am really hopeful that Bill didn't just sit this down, sit down, write this without any input from her. As wives of Alcoholics Anonymous, we would like you to feel that we understand as perhaps few can. We want to analyze mistakes we've made. We want to leave you with the feeling that no situation is too difficult and no unhappiness too great to be overcome. We have traveled rocky roads. There is no mistake about that. We have had long rendezvous with hurt, pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, and fear. These are not pleasant companions. We have been driven to maudlin sympathy, to bitter resentment. Some of us veered from extreme to extreme, ever hoping that one day our loved ones would be themselves once more. Our loyalty and desire that our husbands hold up their heads and be like other men have begotten all sorts of predicaments. We have been unselfish and self-sacrificing. We have told innumerable lies to protect our pride and our husbands' reputations. We have prayed. We have begged. We have been patient. We have struck out viciously. We have run away. We have been hysterical. <laughs> See, Now, they're saying that in a term that usually refers to being locked up in a mental institution for being super upset. Really, I mean, that's it. I, I, I kind of geeked out about some psychology stuff years ago. When they were treating people with alcoholism back in the day, they used hallucinogens. Belladonna is one aspect of it, but they had for a brief time started using LSD and they were using it on quote unquote hysterical patients. And those quote unquote hysterical patients were just really pissed off women. That's what they would refer to as hysterical. Some were schizophrenic, 
Some had other underlying medical issues. They were just all blanket named hysterical. It's fucking bizarre to me. Modern psychological medicine, the fact that it's come as far as it has, was really weird in our country when this book was written. It really was. We have been terror-stricken. We have sought sympathy. We have had retaliation, uh, retaliatory love affairs with other men. Our homes have been battlegrounds many an evening. In the morning, we have kissed and made up. Our friends have counseled chucking the men, and we have done so with finality, only to be back in a little while hoping, always hoping. Our men have sworn great solemn oaths that they were through drinking forever. We have believed them when no one else could or would. Then, in days, weeks, or months, a fresh outburst. See, I was on the other side of this. I was a man who had, uh, you know, previous, my first girlfriend, or the person I was with when I got out of prison, I had relapsed a few times and she took me back. I've heard stories of, of people making it through some of the worst alcoholism I've ever heard about and still having their wives at the end of it. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, to be honest. I don't know that I have that in me. Clearly not. I mean, I can, I'm single again, so I must not, but yeah, it, it, it gets, it gets worse. Some of this we seldom have, but it does get better. The people that have stayed together through that and then are now living a life where the person who put them through that is now sober. You know, it seems like they're pretty happy for the most part. I haven't really, I mean, not all relationships have made it through that. The ones that are though, and have is pretty kind of commendable, I guess. I, I don't know. It's a weird one for me because I feel like there's only so much you should have to put up with before you should do what's right for yourself. But that being said, I am not the decider of what other people do with their relationships. We seldom had friends at our homes, never knowing how or when the men of the house would appear. (laughs) He would make few social engagements. We came to live almost alone. When we were invited out, our husbands sneaked so many drinks that they spoiled the occasion. If, on the other hand, they took nothing, their self-pity made them killjoys. Oh, man, I had been to parties where I was not able to drink, and I was such a fucking piece of shit. God, I was such a little fucking toddler. Just not willing to even try. I remember being out. I would go and hang out with my friend after the friends after work at the bar. And before I could get a couple drinks in me, if that just wasn't even looking like a possibility, like in my brain, if I didn't think I was going to be able to get drunk, then I would, why bother? I was such a dick. God damn. There was never financial security. Positions were always in jeopardy or gone. An armored car could not have brought the pay envelopes home. The checking account melted like snow in June. Sometimes there were other women. How heartbreaking was this discovery. How cruel to be told. They understood our men as we did not. The bill collectors, the sheriffs, the angry taxi drivers, the policemen, the bums, the pals, and even the ladies they sometimes brought home. Our husbands thought we were so inhospitable. Joy killer, nag, wet blanket. That's what they said. Next day, they would be themselves again, and we would forgive and try to forget. What they're describing is a horribly abusive relationship. To anybody who's stuck it out with someone else while putting them through this, I, I do. I commend you in some way. But also, no one should have to put themselves through this. Without a clear possibility that there is another side to it, I don't know. And that just also speaks of the, ta- the times. You know, people stuck it out through this and worse, much worse. Because it was expected, you know, divorce wasn't really wildly acceptable. Breaking up with somebody wasn't really, you know, something you did, I guess, like, especially when you were married. I just think about the kind of things people put themselves through to appease that social stigma. 
So weird. We have tried to hold the love of our children for their father. We have told small tots that father was sick, which was much nearer the truth. Then we realized they struck the child, kicked our door panels, smashed treasured crockery, and ripped the keys out of pianos. In the midst of such pandemonium, they may have rushed out threatening to live with the other woman forever. In desperation, we have even got tight ourselves, the drunk to end all drunks. The unexpected result was that our husband seemed to like it. I've heard that as well. Uh, relationships kind of ending because the other person tried to match that the you know the alcoholic drinkers drinking uh and that person then became so toxic that the the you know the the husband that we'll use that term left because they felt that person was too toxic or being harmful so so weird perhaps at this point we got a divorce and took the children home to father and mother so i'm not i'm not judging or criticizing i just it's a it's an insanity to the dynamic of this kind of situation i mean if people can drink themselves if somebody could be in a situation where their wife is is sober but they're a hardcore drinker and their wife tries to join them you've put them through all this stuff and then they drink and then they do something that's harmful and you're like fucking get out of the house that's bullshit right but in the moment it's probably seemed perfectly logical to the person drinking like that's the insanity part that's what i'm scoffing at making kind of little side jokes and saying it's weird not and people put themselves through some weird shit that is just the way it happens. Uh, I'm not putting people down for that, but the circumstances are absurd. Perhaps at this point, we got a divorce and took the children home to father and mother. Then we were severely criticized by our husband's parents for desertion. Fucking whatever. Usually we did not leave. We stayed on and on. We finally sought employment ourselves as destitution faced us and our families. We began to ask medical advice as the sprees got closer together. The alarming physical and mental symptoms, the deepening pall of, of remorse, depression, and inferiority uh, that settled down on our loved ones, these things terrified and distracted us. As animals on a treadmill, we had patiently and warily climbed, falling back in exhaustion after each futile effort to reach solid ground. Most of us have entered the final stage with its commitment to health resorts, sanitariums, hospitals, and jails. Sometimes there were screaming delirium and insanity. Death was often near. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes. Some of them rose out of ignorance of alcoholism. Sometimes we sensed dimly that we were dealing with sick men. Had we fully understood the nature of the alcoholic illness, we might have behaved differently. How could men who loved their wives and children be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? There could be no love in such persons, we thought. And just as we were being convinced of their heartlessness, they would surprise us with fresh resolves and new attentions. For a while, they would be their old sweet selves, only to dash the new structure of affection to the pieces once more. Asked why they commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse, or none. It was so baffling, so heartbreaking. Could we have been so mistaken in the men we married? When drinking, they were strangers. Sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. And I will say that this is this was true of me. I am I am just absolutely such a completely different person when I'm drinking. Not to say that I was in my drinking, I was the best partner to have around. But when I went bouts without it, when I did have those lulls where I was drinking fairly normally, you know, I wasn't starting arguments over stupid shit and I wasn't missing work and I wasn't, yeah, it's, I mean, I never really cheated. There was, I kind of an almost cheat, you know, thing, but there were attempts and there were, my, my attentions would stray, you know, that didn't happen when I was not drinking for the most part. It happened when I wasn't working on myself. Sure. Yeah. It just, I was night and day. I was night and day. That's just the, the easiest way to explain it. But 
when I wasn't drinking, it wasn't like I was the greatest person to be around either. Being sober just simply wasn't enough for me. And even if they did not love their families, how could they be so blind about themselves? What had become of their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? Why could they not see that drink meant ruin to them? Why was it, when these dangers were pointed out, that they agreed and they got drunk again immediately? I don't know. The book explains it, but it still doesn't make any sense. Really? Like, I remember walking home a mile and a half because I had just smashed the tire on my car so badly from driving into uh, kind of a weird concrete embankment thing from not paying attention that it had it had basically bent the rim. It had bent, the, bent and warped the rim, and I couldn't get the the lug nuts off with, with what I had on me. And I had to go get my tools. And this was because I had been drinking and I had just gotten into an argument with my girlfriend and ran out of the house and just going to do, I don't even know what I was going to do. But anyways, I walk home mile and a half. So three miles altogether, the police pull me over and I almost get arrested because I'm so intoxicated that I can't hardly walk. If I hadn't been so close to home, they were going to take me to the drunk tank. I get home, I get my tools, I get back to the car. I can't get the wheel of my car off. So I start hitting my car with the whatever tool it was, putting holes in the hood and in the side of the car. And I finally, after two hours, get this fucking tire off. And I put the spare on and I drive home. All the while, I'm like, this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been drinking. I need to quit drinking. I need to get a handle on this. I need to cut back. The next fucking night, I went out and got wasted. Like, it, it wasn't even like it even happened. I mean, that kind of stuff happened to me so often where I would just be like, yeah. I should do, I should not do this anymore. And then just invite that potential calamity into my life by drinking again. These are some of the questions which race through the mind of every woman who has had an alcoholic husband. We hope this book has answered some of them. Perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. You can see that he really does love you with his better self. Of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility. But in nearly every instance, the alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. It is usually because he is warped and sick, uh, sickened that he says and does things, these appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. Try not now. Yeah, I mean, some people come out of this and, and they're just so different that sober, the person that, you know, they were with, they, they grow apart. Usually not in a very bad way, just in a way that's obvious. After years, people change. People just change. So, you know, you have somebody that was sober in their 20s. They drank for 10, 15 years. They get sober. Uh, there's no reason to assume that they're going to be the same person that they were in their 20s when they get sober or the same person that the person who was with them fell in love with. So that's also a possibility. You know, I'm speaking from someone, if I am talking to someone right now who isn't the alcoholic, but is maybe the Al-Anon person, the person who is with an alcoholic, just be mindful of that. Like, just because they sober up doesn't mean you have to stay with them. It doesn't mean that that's the person that you're now in love with. They could have changed to the point where that's not the case, and that's okay. It's not easy, and it hurts, but it's okay. Try not to condemn your alcoholic husband, no matter what he says or does. He is just another very sick unreasonable person. Treat him when you can as though he had pneumonia. When he angers you, remember that he's very ill. Like to an extent. He starts hitting kids and punching doors and shit. That's that's where that's where you draw the line. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking say that right now. Like you can be sick, but don't put hands on kids. <laughs> We're gonna have a different kind of a conversation if that kind of shit happens. You know what I mean? Like that's time to quit. And if you're not gonna quit, it's time to get the fuck out. That's, I'm not kidding. Like, I don't understand. This is where I, I'm like, there's a complete departure with the book. Oh, you slap your wife around? You need to get the fuck out of the house, dude. 
It's time to get the hell out. Get out of the house. Get sober. It's time for you to do that right the fuck now. You know, like, sorry, <laughs> I have some personal history with that. I watched my mom get beat up way too many times to be like, ah, just stick it out, hon. Like, just wait until he gets better. There is an important exception to the foregoing. We realize some men are thoroughly bad-intentioned, that no amount of patience will make any difference. An alcoholic of this temperament may be quick to use this chapter as a club over your head. Don't let him get away with it. If, I mean, if he's that ill-intentioned, he's probably not going to be reading this book. If you are positive he's the one of this type, you may feel you had better leave him. Is it right to let him ruin your life and the lives of your children, especially when he has before him a way to stop his drinking and abuse if he really wants to pay the price? The problem with which you struggle usually falls within one of four categories. One, your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may, it may be heavy only on certain occasions. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He would probably be insulted if you were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether and some will not. Of those who keep on, a good number will become true alcoholics after a while. Two, your husband is showing lack of control, for he is unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. He admits this is true, but is positive that he will do better. He has begun to try, with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating and staying dry. Maybe he is beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He is worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. He sometimes drinks in the morning and through the day to hold his nervousness in check. He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he needs to stop. What? But when he gets over the spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. We think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to family uh, business fairly well. He has by no means ruined everything. As we say among ourselves, he wants to want to stop. And, you know, I get that. I really do. There's There was a big part of me that before I came into the program, you know, when I, I referenced before that I'd kind of forgotten about AA or I forgot about the options of recovery or abstinence or it just seemed so far removed from me. I wanted to want to stop, but I didn't really want to stop. And I get I get what that means internally. Uh, I, I'm sure others will too. But it was sort of the idea that I knew that I needed to get it bad enough to finally want to stop and I wanted to just get there now. So I was on kind of an express route to getting to the point where I knew I wanted to stop, you know, as quickly as possible. And unfortunately, that meant trying to kill myself. And I hope others don't ever let it get that bad. But that's, you know, that's just kind of the nature of this. Some people, they get to the point to where they're like, they know they have a problem. They know they want to stop, but they're not to the point to where they want to. And it seems strange to see someone, especially coming from a place of recovery, to see someone in that, even though you might be able to relate to it. There were friends of mine that like, they're, they were ruining their fucking lives. You know, one one friend had run from the police in a in a that turned a, a DUI into running from the police, uh, having an altercation in front of an apartment complex after trying to ditch the police and then having a, a resisted arrest because he turned it into a physical altercation with them. And this was like, you know, his car had been all banged up from multiple instances where he'd run it into shit. And after all of that, he's like, I still think I can drink normally. And from my perspective, I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. But also, I can fully understand that. Fully 
understand that. After my history, you know, of course I could understand that. There are plenty of times where I'd done some just ridiculous shit. Like I went 10 years thinking I could drink normally with all the proof in the world that I obviously could not. And you have they have to want to. They have to want to actually want to stop. And some people might even get to the point where they're like, I want to quit, but they haven't just gone past that point right over that threshold. Like they can see that there's a an end point, but they're not to the point to where they actually want to yet. I get what that's saying. I kind of like that phrase. Three, this husband has gone much further than husband number two. Though once like number two, he become he became worse. His friends have slipped away. His home is a near wreck and he cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in and the weary uh, round of sanitariums and hospitals has begun. He admits he cannot drink like other people, but does not see why. He clings to the notion that he will find a way to do so. He may have some, uh, come to the point where he d desperately wants to stop but cannot. His case pre uh, presents additional questions which we shall try to answer for you. You can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. 4. You may have a husband of whom you completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you to have him committed. Maybe you have already been obliged to put him away. This picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. So delirium tremens. I mean, if you're with someone uh, that you feel has reached the point to where when they do try to quit, they have like physical withdrawals, get them medical attention. Don't risk the possibility that they can just sort of sweat those withdrawals out. Make sure that there is some sort of attempt at getting medical attention because you can fucking die from it. And there's no reason to risk that. Like if you're at the point that you want to quit badly enough that you're willing to risk death to get there, then you're willing to go see a doctor, you know, like don't, don't, don't take that chance. There's too many resources out there to make sure that people don't have to go through that alone. And there's resources out there to make sure that you, you go through that in a healthy way in a non-judgmental environment. Uh, just please keep that in mind. If you're helping others, if you're working with others and you feel that the person is in that case, I think I said it in the last episode of this, definitely make sure that they aren't taking the chance of quitting without that medical help. Don't just start feeding them Sprite thinking that's going to be enough or whatever. Let's now now go back to number one. Oddly enough, he is often difficult to deal with. He enjoys drinking. It stirs his imagination. His friends feel closer over a highball. Perhaps you enjoy drinking with him yourself when he go, doesn't go too far. You have passed happy evenings together chatting and drinking before your fire. Perhaps you both like parties, which would be dull without liquor. We have enjoyed such evenings ourselves. We had a, had a good time. We know all about liquor as a social lubricant. For me, personally, liquor was, that was my primary reason for drinking was as a social lubricant. And I know I've talked to a lot of people that were similar. Uh, that's why it was so important for me to find social outlets while sober and prove that I can, you know, that I'm capable of that and can have fun in those instances without, without needing it. I highly encourage others to find the way to do that. It's not boring. It can be, but I mean, anything can be. Fuck, drinking was boring at one point but not all of us, think it's, it has its advantages when reasonably used. The first principle of success is that you have you should never be angry. Even though your husband becomes unbearable and you have to leave him temporarily, you should, if you can, go without rancor. Patience and good temper are most necessary. Again, up to a point. There's no reason why you can't have boundaries and put your foot down if the person that you're with is not respecting you. 
if they are in a position to where you have to compromise yourself for their illness, that should be of utmost concern. If you're trying to be a good, you know, significant other and you're trying to be supportive, that's different. But there are still boundaries that should be addressed. If they're not going to respect those boundaries while they try to heal, then then it's fine to to hold them accountable for that even if they are going through this period of like sickness and health like if they're trying to come out of this sickness and they're trying to heal and they're treating you like shit that the patience has those there's limits there please please respect yourself enough to have those limits with somebody that's going through this if they are a significant other a very close friend or a family member our next thought is that you should never tell him what he must do about his drinking if he gets the idea that you are a nagra killjoy your chance of accomplishing anything useful may be zero which is funny that they're saying this because there's been a few people that i've more than a few that i've encountered that Basically, the fact that their wife was leaving them was the eye-opener for them. So, I mean, yeah, it's weird that they're coming. This part feels like it's written by Bill. Maybe that's not even true. But it does feel like it's written from like a very archaic kind of perspective. You just sort of stick around no matter what. Not saying that that perspective is archaic, but there is a version of it that maybe hasn't survived the ages because people aren't willing up to put up with like emotional and physical abuse, which they should not. He will use that as an excuse to drink more. He will tell you he is misunderstood. This may lead to lonely evenings for you. He may seek someone else to console him, not always another man. I, I, I'm going to be pretty fucking honest. If you're going through hell and high water to make sure that your significant other has a happy home and they're out there drinking and they start banging other people, you were more than within your rights to kick that fucker to the curb, like man or woman, you know, that's again, that's not respecting you in your, in your relationship coming from this aspect of, well, he's just sick. Yeah. Fucking maybe, but you know, there's a point to where it's just not acceptable. So again, I, I feel like I've kind of just been drilling this down. Don't compromise yourself for someone you're with and just because they're drinking. And you feel like they're sick. Like, don't put yourself in a position where you're you're co-signing that bullshit. Be determined that your husband's drinking is not going to spoil your relationships with your children or your friends. They need your companionship and your help. It is possible to have a full and useful life, though your husband continues to drink. We know women who are unafraid, even happy under these conditions. What? No. No, there aren't women who are happy that their husband is going around fucking all the people in the that'll let him while while constantly going out and drinking, spending all the money, treating people like shit, hard, hardly keeping a job down. There's no women that are happy in these situations. There's no men either. Again, going back to the fact that there is a vice versa. Do not set your heart on reforming your husband. You may be unable to do so, no matter how hard you try. We know these suggestions are sometimes difficult to follow, but you will save many a heartbreak if you can succeed in observing them. Your husband may come to appreciate your reasonableness and patience. This may lay the groundwork for a friendly talk about his alcoholic problem. Try to have him bring up the subject himself. Be sure you are not critical during such a discussion. Attempt instead to put yourself in his place. Let him see that you want to be helpful rather than critical. Still, again, this all has limits. You know, I had a friend that reached out to me. She did not have a drinking problem, but she felt that her significant other had. And she knew that I was in recovery. And, then, and you know, I she had seen me in my drinking and had seen me out of it. So she knew that it was possible to change. And she really was worried about her, her SO. And she's like, what do I do? How do I get him, you know, to, to come around to AA? And I so said, he might not ever. 
that's just the honest fucking truth. But you can't force him either. And I, I will agree with this. You can't like push him towards it. But what you can do is you can set boundaries. And if he does not respect those boundaries, then you can start talking to him about needing to find a solution for his problems. Because they're not your problems. Him drinking is not your fault. And him, him being an asshole doesn't get a free pass simply because he's struggling with his alcohol intake. Like that's not okay either. That, that again, that's compromising your position as a human, like just deciding that somebody can walk all over you because they're struggling with alcohol when compounded with the fact that they may never seek recovery. And, you know, I, I gave some useful hints and help. Like you can, you can put some pamphlets around if you feel like they're going to, you know, the, your, your partner is going to read them, but also be really clear in your boundaries. That's going to be the biggest indicator for anybody. If you say, look, when you're drinking, you're not allowed to talk to me this way. I will leave. I might leave for the day. I might leave for the week. I might leave for the month. But if you're going to talk to me like this when you're drinking, then I'm not going to be here to allow you to do that. Like something along those lines, you know, put, be firm and, and be, be un, unyielding. Don't let them slowly push the boundaries over and don't let that person feel like they can get away with it because they're drinking. Like I said before, like don't, don't use it as like a, an easy way out that oh, I'm sick. I'm just an alcoholic. I can't help it. But yeah, the last thing you want to do is start pushing that person into thinking that you know what's best for them, even if it's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I told her if he gets to the point to where he, he wants to quit, I, I'm more than happy to sit down with him. We can have a discussion about what my alcoholism looked like. And if it lines up with something he's interested in, because he wasn't, he's like, I don't want to do it. It's a cult, um, which is fine. A lot of people feel that way. But, uh, you know, never got that call. His drinking never really changed. She's, you know, she's still in the relationship with him. Whatever that looks like, we never really talked again. All, all I can say and do is what I did. I provided some helpful information. I tried to make sure that she understood that there's boundaries that she needs. I did point her in the direction of Al-Anon. I do think that she is going to Al-Anon still, or at least went a few times. So there is that. But don't, you know, I, I didn't shame her. I didn't make her feel like shit for trying to stick it out with him because I don't think that's fair. Um, I don't know every particular of the relationship, but it did sound like it was getting kind of toxic. It, it didn't sound like it was to the point to where she was feeling abused or neglected fully, but there was a period where she's like, I don't know what to do. And I gave her some help and it, you know, it sounds like that was, that was that. What I would not say is like, don't live in the empathy to the point to where you are compromising yourself. I'll just say that again. Uh, moving on. When a discussion does arise, you might suggest you read this book or at least the chapters on alcoholism. Uh, I would suggest you you have them just consider. I mean, read the book maybe, but there's other stuff they can read. Tell him you've been worried, though perhaps needlessly. You think he ought, he ought to know the subject better, as everyone should have a clear understanding of the risk he takes if he drinks too much. Show him you have confidence in his power to stop or moderate. Say you do not want to be a wet blanket that you only want him to take care of his health. Thus, you may succeed in interesting him uh, in alcoholism. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's like, I don't want to be a downer on you slowly killing yourself, but uh, uh, I'm really just worried about how, how you feel in the mornings, you know? I'm worried about your long-term health. Not about the fact that you've been treating me and the kids like shit, you haven't held a job, and you can't seem to, to function without a fifth in you. Like, I don't know. Some of this stuff is just such a weird take. He probably has several alcoholics among his own acquaintances. You might suggest that you both take an interest in them. 
drinkers like to help other drinkers. Your husband may be willing to talk to one of them. I don't see the value in this. If he's not trying to quit, he shouldn't be trying to get others to quit. Maybe this is like, hey, if you quit, you can also help your friends quit. But then it's like if you're suggesting that everybody around, I don't know, this that was weird. I don't know about that one. If this kind of approach does not catch your husband's interest, it may be best to drop the subject. But after a friendly talk, your husband will usually revive the topic himself. Maybe. I don't know if that's true. Some of the claims, man. This may take patient waiting but it'll be worth it. Meanwhile, you might try to help the wife of another serious drinker. If you act upon these principles, your husband may stop or moderate. Now, I do see this is, again, this is like the infancy of Al-Anon, but it is weird that if a person comes to you, this this is like advice basically for a person who, who has a significant other that's drinking, and they're saying, well, if you can't get your husband to quit, go find another woman who has the same issue and try to get their husband to quit. I don't know. It's sort of weird as well. Uh, suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. I will say that while it was maybe misguided originally, this did go on to f- basically forming that group of Al-Anon, which if you haven't gone to Al-Anon and you're probably only aware of like the jokes that get thrown around in AA about Al-Anon, um, it's worth going to even if you are not a person in that situation where you're you're someone who has a drinker in your life at least a couple times. Be honest that you're an alcoholic because if you have affected other people, then that's where you'll go to see that firsthand. You'll go to see people who've never really had a problem drinking but are affected by alcoholics. And it can help to kind of create some empathy empathy inside you. And in the future, if you do end up meeting somebody whose wife wants to talk to you about how to help or, or husband or you know daughter or son or whatever – you have a little bit of insight of what you're getting them into. You're not just sending them to Al-Anon thinking that's going to fix everything. You actually have some firsthand experience. Like I've been to Al-Anon, here's what they talk about, etc. Suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to husband number one should be practiced. But after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over the drinking for good. Do not ask him. Uh, do not ask that he do it for you or anyone else. Just what he like to. That's important too. Like don't don't shame them into quitting for you or the kids because that doesn't really ever stick. You know, they have to come around their own way. But yeah, that's I, I feel like that's a good approach. The chances are he would. Show him your copy of this book and tell him what you have found about alcoholism. Show him uh, that uh, alcoholics, the writers of the book, understood. Tell him some of the interesting stories you have read. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look the, look at the chapter on alcoholism. Then perhaps he will be interested enough to continue. If he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will meet a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he's not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. So this, while while it's specifically talking about someone trying to get their significant other to change or somebody close to them to, to come around to the idea that they're an alcoholic, this is kind of how I have led my life as far as hanging out with people that I think might have a problem. I don't pester them into quitting at all. Most of the time, I don't even bring it up. But I do really let them know what my life is like, not in a weird preachy kind of way. But, you know, I just live. I just live my life and and hope that that's enough for them to kind of see. And if they have questions, I answer them candidly. And I tell them my experience and how it's going. And that seems to be the most helpful. As long as I plant those seeds. Like I said before about some of the friends that have reached out to me. They didn't quit or maybe they have. I don't know. They've never talked to me again about it. But those seeds are planted. If it ever gets bad enough, they at least know they can go somewhere. 
He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. But don't remind him of this after he has been drinking, for he may be angry. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. Wait until repeated stumbling convince him he must act. For the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. If you have a number three husband, you may be in luck. Being certain he wants to stop, you can go to him with this volume as joyful as though you had struck oil. He may not share your enthusiasm, but he is practically sure to read the book and he may go for the program at once. I can't imagine that that's the case now. Just being fucking honest. If Even if I really wanted to, to quit. Because it's been around for so long, there's so much like mythos surrounding AA. You know, and I'm hoping this podcast kind of helps uncover some of that and make it a little bit more accessible but it's not always the case some people just have this idea in their head that it's a cult that's why i think it's important that other avenues be explored smart life ring whatever other kinds of recovery stuff there might be out there before just going to him and going like you need aa here's the big book it was written in 1930 it should be just fine to read right now while you're basically fucking is still drunk uh just just consider that before taking this kind of stuff to somebody else. Uh, If he does not, he will probably not have long to wait. Again, you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself. Cheerfully see him through more sprees. (laughs) No, no, don't cheerfully see him through more sprees. Don't, don't watch him continue to drink himself to death and be like his cheering squad. What a fucking weird... Anyways, talk about his condition or this book only when he raises the issues. In some cases, it may be better to let someone outside the family present the book. They can urge action without arousing hostility. If your husband is otherwise a normal individual, your chances are good at this stage. Otherwise normal, whatever that means. You would suppose that men in the fourth clarification would be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Many of Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. Everybody had uh, given them up. Defeat seemed certain, yet often such men had spectacular and powerful recoveries. There are exceptions. Some men have been so impaired by alcohol that they cannot stop. Sometimes there are cases where alcoholism is complicated by other disorders. A good doctor or psychiatrist can tell you whether these complications are serious. In any event, try to have your husband read this book. His reaction may be one of enthusiasm. If he's already committed to an institution but can convince you or your doctor that he means business, give him a chance to try our method, unless the doctor thinks his mental condition too abnormal or dangerous. He may... We make this recommendation with some confidence. For years, we have been working with alcoholics committed to institutions. Since this book first was published, AA has released thousands of alcoholics from asylums and hospitals of every kind. The majority have never returned. The power of God goes deep. Uh, Yeah, right now, most rehabs will have some sort of a 12-step recovery program and encourage AA as their primary focus of recovery. Even their internal programs are kind of based on a a 12-step programming of some sort, or at least utilizes it in some way in conjunction with their own recovery. Rehabs aren't designed to keep you sober forever. They're designed to give you a chance to find recovery or the path to recovery that can be used long term. And they don't always do a great job of that. I've never been to a rehab, but I have spoken with enough people who have to know that it's very hit or miss. Some people just don't take to it. But what I've never heard is that somebody who's fully recovered, having said they they regret what they learned in there. 
maybe they regret financially how much it might have cost and they regret that they had to go through that process when they could have just found AA. But it seems like it also comes with the idea that if they hadn't gone through that process, they really just would have never made it into the program. So therefore, there's kind of a hand in hand sort of thing going on there. But like this said, even back then, they were working with programs pretty regularly that would would point them in the direction of AA. You may have the reverse situation on your hands. Perhaps you have a husband who is at large, but who should be committed. Some men cannot or will not get over alcoholism. When they become too dangerous, we think the kind of thing, kind thing to do is to lock them up. But of course, a good doctor should always be consulted. That's not even really an option anymore. Like you can't just say like, my husband's a drunkard. He won't quit. Take him to the asylum. Uh, we have completely gutted our mental health uh, resources in this country and have vilified any kind of addiction or alcoholism as just a thing that people should fucking deal with and get over uh, You know, in this country to the point to where this is not really that much of an option. If you don't have money, it's not likely you're going to get into a very decent rehab. There are rehabs out there that'll take people, but most places have a wait list and it's not like you can just call them up and be like, my husband's an asshole, get him out of here. The wives and children of such men suffer horribly, but not more than the men themselves. But sometimes you must start life anew. We know women who have done it. If such women adopt a spiritual way of life, their road will be smoother. Again, that's kind of like shaming anybody who's an atheist right there for me. Um, you know, if you if you don't adopt that spiritual way of life, then, uh, you know, it's just, just going to be fucked for you. Sorry. I don't think that's true. If your husband is a drinker, you probably worry over what other people are thinking and you hate to meet your friends. You draw more and more into yourself and you think everyone is talking about conditions at your home. You avoid the subject of drinking, even with your own parents. You do not know what to tell your children. When your husband is bad, you become a trembling recluse, wishing the telephone had never been invented. Again, this is very specific. Like, it's very very much speaking to a specific person. And I don't, I don't know that it really applies anymore. We find that most of this embarrassment is unnecessary. Most of? While you need not discuss your husband at length, you can quietly let your friends know the nature of his illness. But you must be on guard not to embarrass or harm your husband. When you have carefully explained to such people that he is a sick person, you will have created a new atmosphere. Barriers which may have sprung up between you and your friends will disappear with the growth of sympathetic understanding. You will no longer be self-conscious or feel that you must apologize as though you were your husband were a weak character. He may be anything but that. Your new courage, good nature, and lack of self-consciousness will do wonders for you socially. Really, who cares about socially? Fuck everybody else, right? But if you can get to that point internally, it's a great place to be. Once you get past the shaming yourself, if you're coming from even the place of the other person is the one struggling with alcoholism, once you get past the shaming yourself or even the shaming them, you're just in a better place, period. The same principles applies in dealing with children. Unless they actually need protection from their father, it is best not to take sides in any argument he has with them while drinking. Use your energies to promote a better understanding all around. Then that terrible tension which grips the home of every problem drinker will be lessened. Frequently, you have felt obliged to tell your husband's employer and his friends that he was sick, even as a matter of fact, he was tight. Avoid answering these inquiries as much as you can. I don't know who would be, uh, whose like boss would be calling their wife like, what's going on with Jimmy? He's, is he a drunk or what? I don't think that's really anything that happens now. Avoid answering these inquiries. Okay, uh, whenever possible, let your husband explain. Your desire to protect him should not cause you to lie to people when they have a right to know where he is and what he's doing. Discuss this with him when he is sober and in good spirits. Ask him what you should do if he places you in such a position again. Now, that's a fair thing to do. 
I, I do like this approach. Like, hey, man, if you're going to continue to do this, what do I tell people? And I'm not going to lie for you. So better be good. But be careful not to be resentful about the last time he did so. I mean, if you can help it. There is another paralyzing fear. You may be afraid your husband will lose his position. You are thinking of the disgrace and hard times which will befall you and the children. This experience may come to you, or you may already have had it several times. Should it happen again, regard it in a different light. Maybe it will pro prove a blessing. It may convince your husband he wants to stop drinking forever. Yeah, maybe. But again, those boundaries, man. Keep yourself safe. And now you know that he can stop if he will. Time after time, this apparent calamity has been a boon to us, for it opened up a path which led to the discovery of God. Yeah, I mean, I feel like God's kind of a dick for watching and waiting for you to get low enough that you come to him willingly or something. I don't even know what the deal is there. We have elsewhere remarked how much better life is when lived on a spiritual plane. And again, for me personally, spiritual is not a metaphysical thing and not a magical thing. You can live spiritually just by being a better person around those that you encounter throughout your day-to-day -day life. If God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems too. Uh, what? Uh, we, we wives found that, like everybody else, we were afflicted with pride, self-pity, vanity, and all the things which go to make up the self-centered person. And we were not above selfishness or dishonesty. As our husbands began to apply spiritual principles in their lives, we began to see the desirability of doing so too. I will agree with that. I mean, the, again, the principles of this program can help others, whether that's God or not or whatever, isn't really the part that I think is important. But even if you're even if you're with somebody who's going through the program and you aren't necessarily an alcoholic, like doing a personal inventory and doing some of those things is just going to be healthy. At first, some of us did not believe we needed this help. We thought on the whole, we were pretty good women or men capable of being nicer if our husbands stopped drinking. But it was a silly, silly idea that we were too good to need God. Now we try to put spiritual principles to work in every department of our lives. When we do that, we find it solves our problem too. The ensuing lack of fear, worry, and hurt feelings is a wonderful thing. We urge you to try our program for nothing will be so helpful to your husband as the radically changed attitude toward him, which God will show you how to have. Go along with your husband if you possibly can. If you and your husband find a solution for the pressing problem of drink, you are, of course, going to be very happy. But all problems will not be solved at once. Seed has started to sprout in a new soil, but growth has only begun. In spite of your newfound happiness, there will be ups and downs. Many of the old problems will still be with you. This is as it should be. I don't know if this is as it should be, but yeah, that is true. Like, if financial problems have come from this person drinking, then of course they're not going to be solved just simply because he sobered up. The faith and sincerity of both you and your husband will be put to the test. These workouts should be regarded as part of your education, for thus you will be learning to live. You will make mistakes, but if you are in earnest, they will not drag you down. Instead, you will capitalize them. A better way of life will emerge when they are overcome. Some of the snags you will encounter are irritation, hurt feelings, and resentments. Your husband will sometimes be unreasonable and you will want to criticize. Starting from a speck on the domestic horizon, great thunderclouds of dispute may gather. These family dissensions are very dangerous, especially to your husband. Uh, that's just shaming your partner. I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, they might be dangerous to him, but that's not... Oh, that shouldn't necessarily be the price. That should be his primary concern. Yours should be caring for you and your kids and making sure that you're setting proper boundaries and, you know, be, you know, being there and being supportive of your husband. Anyways, often you must carry the burden of avoiding them or keeping them under control. Never forget that resentment is a deadly hazard to an alcoholic. 
We do not mean that you have to agree with your husband whenever there is an honest difference of opinion. Just be careful not to disagree in resentful or critical spirit. I do kind of agree with that. Like, don't don't continue to hold things over your partner's head just because of stuff that happened before. Like, do your best, I guess, to kind of give them room to, to grow. And if they don't grow, then maybe that changes. But telling them, yeah, you were an asshole when you were drunk, when they're 30 days sober isn't going to be helpful. You and your husband will find that you can dispose of serious problems easier than you can the trivial ones. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. I do 1000% agree with this. This is some great advice. If you and the person that you're with in any relationship, fucking even if it's one at like the store, if you realize that you are getting heated, then it's time to stop. And, and take a step back. And if the person is close enough to you, like a, in a relationship status, that you can say, you know, I'm not able to articulate myself properly because I'm getting upset. I'd like to talk about this later. You're doing everything you can to bring this back to a discussion that can be used, that just be a, an exchange of words rather than an exchange of emotions. And if the other person doesn't agree to that, you are free to withdraw. You don't have to continue to participate in that. And that's such a great piece of advice because so many arguments become what they are because people speak through emotions and they don't give themselves to a, a chance to process them at all. And it's so important that you just take that second. Like, I need to take a step back. And more than likely, that's going to be completely different behavior for both people. And we'll do wonders. So such a great change of atmosphere when you know that you can take a break, come back and actually discuss the matter. The important thing is if you do take a step back that you discuss it later and don't wait until it becomes a heated discussion again. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. Um, Don't avoid disagreement or contention. That's that's kind of a, a codependent style of behavior. But don't like don't be so aggressive about things that it turns into an argument if you could avoid it. Your husband knows he owes you more than sobriety. He wants to make good, yet you must not expect too much. His ways of thinking and doing are the habits of years. Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love are the watchwords. Show him things in yourself and they will be reflected back to you from him. Live and let live is the rule. Uh, that idea of love if you want to be loved. If you both show a willingness to remedy your own defects, there will be little need to criticize each other. We women carry with us a picture of the ideal man, the sort of chap we would like our husbands to be. It is the most natural thing in the world, once his liquor problem is solved, to feel that he will now measure up to that cherished vision. Well, that's just, a, don't don't have those expectations about your partner. Like, don't have a, don't have a, a, a planned out resume of who this person should be. And then expect they're going to meet that ever. Like even if they're coming out of a drunk, Ho hope they'll return back to form to the person that you maybe fell in love with. But I don't know. Don't just don't even bother with the idea that you have this ideal partner they must measure up to. There's traits, of course, that you should look for, but it's kind of dangerous thinking to be like, well, they got to be, you know, they got to have these twelve things, or or there's no, you know, they're out. Uh, the chances are he will not, for like yourself, he is just beginning his development. Be patient. Another feeling we are very likely to entertain is one of resentment that love and loyalty could not cure our husbands of alcoholism. We do not like the thought that the contents of the book or the work of another alcoholic has accomplished in a few weeks that for which we struggled for years. And that's that shaming thing. Don't shame yourself. Don't feel like if I were a better partner, then this person would, would be better. That's not how any of this works. At such moments, we forget that alcoholism is an illness over which we could not possibly have had any power. Even if they're not an alcoholic, man, just in general, like 
you're not responsible for other people. You're responsible for yourself and period. So if someone else is being an asshole, it's not your fucking fault. It just isn't. Your husband will be the first to say it was your devotion and care which brought him to the point where he could have a spiritual experience. I don't know if that's going to be true. Without you, he would have gone to pieces long ago. When resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessings. After all, your family is reunited, alcohol is no longer a problem, and you and your husband are working together toward an undreamed of future. Hopefully. That's the case. I really hope that is the case for anybody listening. Uh, Still another difficulty is that you may become jealous of the attention he bestows on other people, especially alcoholics. Now, this might actually be true. Like, it, it could possibly be that they end up working so much with other alcoholics to keep sober that they're now kind of being neglectful of their home. And now it's a different kind of neglect because it's like you finally fucking waited all this time. They finally got their shit together. You know, you, you were with them and, and loyal and you stuck by them and showed them support. And now they're never home. They're at the fucking meeting hall. They're working with other drunks that there is a balance that they need to maintain. And that's where that boundary comes in. You're allowed to say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in two weeks. Can we can we work on this? But don't be like you're fucking just as bad as you were when you were an alcoholic. Like it's all about how you approach the situation. You've been starving for his companionship. Yes, yet he spends long hours helping other men and their families. You feel he should now be yours. The fact that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful. Your house is filled with strangers. You may not you may not like some of them. He gets stirred up about their troubles, but not at all about yours. It will do little good if you point that out and urge more attention for yourself. I don't necessarily agree with that. I do think it's important that you as a partner maintain the ability to share your feelings, even if they're not correct. Feelings are not a thing that are true or false. They're just a thing. But expressing that is a healthy way to find a balance and to find a way to work together with your partner to come to equal terms. Um, you know, deciding to leave that alone so that they can do whatever they want is not healthy. We find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm for alcoholic work. That's that, that is again, don't nag them. Don't be like, I liked it better when you were drinking. Cause at least you were home or some bullshit like that. Like don't, don't make it seem like they're being shamed for the work they're doing, but just make it clear. Like I'd like to see you, you know, that's fair. You should join in his efforts as much as you possibly can. We suggest that you direct some of your thought to the wives of his new alcoholic friends. I don't think this is necessary. Like maybe going to Al-Anon and stuff might be a good idea, but you don't have to throw yourself into AA because your partner's in AA. I don't think that that should be a requirement. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. It is probably true that you and your husband have been living too much alone for drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. Therefore, you probably need fresh interests and a great cause to live for as much as your husband. If you cooperate rather than complain, you will find that his excess enthusiasm will tone down. Both of you will awaken to a new sense of responsibility for others. You, as well as your husband, ought to think of what you can put into life instead of how much you can take out. Inevitably, your lives will be fuller for doing so. You will lose the old life to find one much better. Perhaps your husband will make a fair start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you may be coming home drunk. If you are satisfied he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed. Though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, as has been true of many other men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. You need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Cheer him up and ask him how you can still be more helpful. Eh, maybe. I mean, again, boundaries. Keep your boundaries. 
The slightest sign of fear or intolerance may lessen your husband's chance of recovery. In a weak moment, he may take your dislike of his high-stepping friends as one of those insanely trivial excuses to drink. We never, never try to arrange a man's life as to shield him from temptation. The slightest disposition on your part to guide his appointment or his affairs so he will not be tempted will be noticed. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. Again, fucking boundaries. <laughs> He's a member of the relationship as well. And, you know, acting like he just gets to do literally whatever the fuck he wants without consideration to others is not, should not be acceptable. If he gets drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. If not, it had better be found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. Yeah, whatever. We realize that we have been giving you much direct advice. We may have seemed to lecture. Well, I don't know about lecture, but a lot of assumptions are being made in this whole passage. If that is so, we are sorry for we ourselves don't always care for people who lecture us. But what we have related is based upon experience, some of it painful. We had to learn these things the hard way. That is why we are anxious that you understand and that you avoid these unnecessary difficulties. Uh, there's an asterisk. Oh, I'm going to just there's an asterisk here. Uh, that asterisk says the Fellowship of Al-Anon family groups was formed about 13 years after this chapter was written. Though it is entirely separate from Alcoholic Anonymous, it uses the general principles of the AA program as a guide for husbands, wives, relatives, friends, and other clo uh, others close to alcoholics. The foregoing pa pages, though addressed only to wives, indicates the problems such people may face. Alateen for teenage children of alcoholics is a part of Al-Anon. If there is no Al-Anon listening in your local telephone book, you may obtain further information on Al-Anon Alateen family groups by writing to its World Service offices. And it gives the address there. Uh, the last thing it says in this chapter is, So to, to you out there who may soon be with us, we say good luck and God bless you. And that is the end of that chapter. I'll say, you know, that chapter is not super God heavy, but it is super assumption heavy. And that's one of the few things about the book that I didn't really like is that it really tries to speak for people in a way that I, I think it asks you not to do, you know, like it tells you not to go in with all these assumptions about the alcoholic you're trying to help and then goes into all these assumptions. That being said, what it's trying to offer at that time, I think, and still is kind of revolutionary. It's not... What I don't like about SMART is SMART is specifically and only for the individual who's trying to quit. Uh, it does nothing to really help the family, if that's the case, if you have a family. And I think that's important, something that AA does offer. Al-Anon and Alateen at least is a resource for people that may be struggling with somebody who's who's still in active addiction or active alcoholism that hasn't gotten to the point to where they're really destroying their marriage or destroying their family life, but it's not an easy thing to really take, you know, to really take on. I don't expect that everybody who has an alcoholic significant other to immediately leave them. There's always going to be kind of like a point where that might be possible and might be happening soon, but you'd rather fuck it, not do that, you know? And I get that it's, there's nothing wrong with a wife or a husband who really wants to stick it out. If, if there's, you know, reasonable cause for that, if their partner isn't really, isn't fucking beating them or horribly verbally abusive. Um, but it's just really struggling and then, then that's okay. Like, I mean, honestly, it's, it's up to the individual whether it's okay or not, but AA gives those opportunities and those resources out.
to people that are in that kind of a position. And I don't think other recovery programs really offer that. Um, that's where the fellowship aspect comes in, the kind of familial aspect of AA that can spring up from these different clubhouses and these different meetings. And it's appreciated. I mean, there's programs that are specifically designed for teens who have parents that drink. And, you know, there's also just events that happen where you take your family there and they meet other people. And I think that's just something that can't really be replicated. So, you know, while the chapter is problematic in some ways, if you can kind of look past the old timey bullshit language that they used about women and, you know, this whole like only husbands can be drunks, then you can kind of see the the real underlying message still applies. So I appreciate this uh, this chapter for those small things. There is stuff I just really, you know, you all heard it. But that chapter's done with. If you want to reach me on Facebook to kind of discuss it, you can find me at an Atheist Reads the Big Book of AA. Uh, there's both a page and a group. I didn't realize they were separate things, but I'm keeping them both because, uh, you know, some people find one and don't find the other or whatever. You can also find me on Twitter at... An atheist in. You can also send me direct mail at one atheist in AA at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me at Instagram at atheist underscore in underscore AA. Uh, you know, I hope to hear back from everybody. Let me know what you think about this chapter. Are you somebody that has a significant other that's still out there, you know, and you're, you're struggling on trying to approach them? Uh, maybe you have some input on how others could really do the approaching or be a be involved in that kind of an aspect of that dynamic where maybe somebody is reaching out who has the partner that is drinking and it just wants to talk to an alcoholic that's in recovery about that. You know, just whatever, whatever you feel may have touched you on this episode. I'd love to hear, hear back. Um, it is a highlight for me, you know, recording these episodes are fun. Like I get a lot out of it, but the interactions I've gotten from people and hearing back that, you know, something about what I said touched them in a way that has been beneficial has has really just it's been a fucking highlight for the last couple of years honestly um knowing that something i'm putting out there in the in the universe is really having an impact has been great so i appreciate everybody that's still listening and any newcomers that have found my my you know my little podcast here if you could share it with with some folks you know my my marketing skills aren't great uh, and i'm not trying to spam it and i'm not really trying to to push this on people, hoping it'll grow organically. And the best way for that to happen is from folks just sharing it with people they think might like it. So anybody who has done that, I genuinely, genuinely thank you. Again, thanks for listening. Until next time, thank you for keeping me sober one more day.